Dear loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for another opportunity for us to fellowship with you. Dear Lord, please, as we listen to your word, we pray for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we may be granted understanding and that we may be given power to practice the things we learn. I commit myself to you and I pray, grant me of your spirit, put your words in my mouth and may I speak blessings to all who are listening. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him, February 26. Redeemed by Christ's blood. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 Ye are not your own, ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 Will you give back to God that which he has ransomed with the price of his own blood? Will you give him your reasoning powers? Will you set them apart for his glory? They are his. He has bought them with a price. Will you place yourselves in the school of Christ, that your conscience may be enlightened, that it may be a good conscience, a faithful sentinel, to guard the highest interests of the soul. Christ has purchased the affections. Will you trifle with them? Will you pervert them? Will you place them upon unworthy objects, center them upon human beings, and make the creature instead of the Creator your God to worship? Or shall your affections be purified, ennobled, refined, and made to twine about your Creator and Redeemer? God will not occupy a divided heart or reign from a divided throne. Every rival that holds the affections and diverts them from the God of love must be dethroned. The Lord demands all that there is of us, and there must be no reserve. Christ has purchased us and we are his heritage, and we are to be honored by being co-laborers with Jesus Christ. Wear the yoke with Christ and daily walk with God. How shall we do this? By laying hold upon the help which God has provided. The Lord has said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Matthew chapter 7 verse 7 God has bought us and he claims a throne in each heart. Our minds and bodies must be subordinated to him and the natural habits and appetites must be made subservient to the higher wants of the soul. But we can place no dependence upon ourselves in this work. We cannot with safety follow our own guidance. The Holy Spirit must renew and sanctify us 
in God's service, there must be no halfway work. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Redeemed by Christ's Blood. Our key text is taken from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 that says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. We need to understand the concept of redemption. We are told here that we were not redeemed with corruptible things. But what does it mean to be redeemed? What does that term mean? Redemption. It's the act of getting back that which was originally yours. In the dictionary, the word redeem means the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. There are two contexts of redemption as we've just seen from the dictionary. One is to gain and the other is to regain. As we speak of the redemption of man, the concept of redemption we know here is the latter, which is to regain. Regaining a possession in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. If we do not accept the fact that man originally belongs to God, we cannot appreciate the concept of redemption. And the carnal heart can rise up in defiance against redemption, feeling that it takes away his or her freedom. But this is far from the truth. But what is the truth? Man was created by God and was never his own. No man owns himself. God is the owner of the whole universe and all that is in it, including man. God owns us by creation. Now, anyone who is averse to this statement will find himself inconsistent and condemn himself if he agrees that there is even any concept of ownership. Stealing. If you think that there is a concept called stealing, then you already agree that there is something like ownership. And therefore, there is something like redemption because to redeem means to take back that which was yours. Those who deny that there is a God who created all things but choose to believe that man evolved and therefore has no owner condemn themselves when they subscribe to the principle that people are thieves and robbers and that some people rightfully own anything. We do own things on this earth and we agree that when anyone takes our property by fraud, theft or robbery, we are well within our rights to call such a person a thief and perform whatever legal acts we can do to redeem our property. This is how it is with God. He is our creator and therefore man and everything in the universe belongs to him. And this is something we should understand and I don't want to go through every um, thing that may be on my mind right now as to understand what God has done to redeem us but suffice to say that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. How does that happen? The wages of sin is death and we chose to serve someone else and we are supposed to die and that someone else is Satan. But God saw our condition. In the book of Isaiah 59 reading from verse 1 and 2 we are told that the Lord's hand is not short, neither is his ear hard of hearing, that he cannot save us, but that our sins separated us from him, and he is our owner. And in order to redeem us, when he looked at our condition, we are suffering, groping in the darkness, everyone glued to one evil or the other, trying to see whether they can overcome, but they can't. Others 
revel in their sins, but their sins bite them and destroy them. And God saw this. In Isaiah 59 verse 16, it says, And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And then what did God do? Verse 20 says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. Amen. Reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 63, paragraph 2, we are told, The Son of God, heaven's glorious commander, was touched with pity for the fallen race. His heart was moved with infinite compassion as the woes of the lost world rose up before him. But divine love had conceived a plan whereby man might be redeemed. The broken law of God demanded the life of the sinner. In all the universe, there was but one who could, in behalf of man, satisfy its claims. Since the divine law is as sacred as God himself, only one equal with God could make atonement for its transgression. None but Christ could redeem fallen man from the curse of the law and bring him again into harmony with heaven. Christ would take upon himself the guilt and shame of sin, sin so offensive to a holy God that it must separate the Father and his Son. Christ would reach to the depths of misery to rescue the ruined race. End of quote. Amen. As much as you know, that this is what needed to happen for us to be redeemed. What are we supposed to do? In light of the price that was paid for our redemption, man should understand that he was bought with a very expensive price. And secondly, we should understand that we do not own ourselves. The one who created and redeemed us is our owner. He did it to free us from the bondage of sin which we were held, to give us back our dignity. And since we cannot remain on our own without coming back under the bondage of sin, the only loving option for us is to be under his care and keeping. The concept of ownership should be something that we love because left to ourselves, there's nothing like left to ourselves in the end. because. You must either be under one of the two great powers. Either God owns you by you accepting the price that he has paid and giving yourself to him. Or you choose to reject him and be under the cruel master Satan. John 10 verse 10. The thief Satan cometh not but to kill, to steal and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. God wants to give you life, but the only way you can have it is by submitting yourself to him to be your owner, to be your master, to be your leader, to be under the great teacher, Jesus Christ, completely and not a halfway walk. For to give God half of your heart is to give him none of your heart. To give him some space in your life is to give him no space in your life at all. 
To allow him to come into some areas to change your life is to allow him to come into no area at all. It must be all or nothing. We read in our devotion that I may know him, page 63, paragraph 2, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And some questions were asked to us. Very deep questions. Will you give back to God that which he has ransomed with the price of his own blood? Will you give him your reasoning powers? Will you set them apart for his glory? That means you need to think. You need to be careful everything you are thinking about and what you are using your brain for. What are you using your mind for? Are you using it for things that edify? Or are you using your mind to dwell on frivolities? and to bring about evil thoughts and evil plans. When you do that, you have not given it to God. We are told that we are to give him our reasoning powers because he has bought us with a price. What about our conscience? We are asked the question, will we give him our conscience that it may be a good conscience, a faithful sentinel to guard the highest interest of the soul? And how about our affections? Will you trifle with them? Will you pervert them? Will you place them upon unworthy objects, center them upon human beings and make the creature instead of the creator your God to worship? Or shall your affections be purified, ennobled, refined and made to twine about your creator and redeemer? End of quote. You see, the knowledge that we are not our own but that we belong to God is the motivation to serve God. He redeemed us from our sins. This should call out from us appreciation, gratitude, loyalty, faithfulness, fidelity, and an undivided service. To vacillate in the service of God and to contemplate whether to give him allegiance or not is the evidence of our lack of understanding that we do not own ourselves or our lack of appreciation that regardless of the fact that we know we do not own ourselves, we still are ungrateful. You are still thinking as to whether you should give yourself to God when you know that he has bought you with a price. We shouldn't be doing that. God is not supposed to beg to be served if we understand what he has done for us. When somebody begs for something, most times it's because they have something to benefit from the thing they are begging for. But God is pleading with us nevertheless, even though he's not supposed to. He humbles himself and begs us, give your heart to me. Why? For our own good. Not because there is any benefit in it for himself, but because he loves us so much and wants to bless us. He is not supposed to beg, but he does nevertheless. We are the ones who are supposed to beg to serve him. We are not to live for self, but to live for him. Some people act like God reigns on their parade, like he wants to spoil their show. He wants to make their life more miserable. That's what many people think. But it's the devil who has blinded the minds of such people. They think that when God wants to change their plans and ambitions, oh, he wants to make their life miserable. They feel like God is interfering and they struggle with submitting to his will for them. They have chosen a path without consulting him. What is it that is keeping us from giving to God that which is his, which is our heart? It is our selfish hearts too that is causing us to do that and our lack of appreciation. It is our deep ingratitude and love of self that is the hindrance. Also, it is the deception of Satan. 
As Satan deceived Eve into thinking that God did not have her best interest at heart, so do many today think that the world has something better to offer than what Jesus offers. You see, we have to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And once we have given him all our heart, all our soul and mind and strength, reason with me. If you've given all of something and somebody comes to ask you for that same thing, would you have any to give? No. If you give God all your heart, the devil will have nothing to take. When he comes to ask you for your heart, you'll say, I don't have any other heart to give. All my heart has been given to God. When something else calls for your affection and wants to draw you, you say, I don't have any other affection to place on any other thing because I've placed all my affections on God. When something else calls for your strength to give to something that will not glorify God, you can say, I don't have any strength for this sin, for this matter. Why? All my strength has been consecrated and given to God already. There's no strength left. I'm weak. I don't have any strength to give for anything that will not glorify God. And the soul also the same. But how is this done practically? You see, some give their jobs as an excuse for not obeying God. They are serving mammon. Psalms 49 verse 6 to 8 tells us, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitudes of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. When we allow our jobs to ask, give me your heart, come to work on a day when you shouldn't come to work, which is the holy sacred day of the Lord, or we allow our jobs to request that we sin against God in one way or the other by any corrupt practice, and the job is requesting from you, I need you to stop your devotion, don't do your morning and evening devotions, don't pray throughout the day, and you give the job that kind of attention, then you have not given God all your heart. And then there are others who give the excuse of their parents, their boss, their family, their friends. They give these excuses for not doing what God requires. To such, I would say, as much as you know that you were not redeemed by the government, as much as you know that you were not redeemed by your father and your mother and your friends and your job and by money, Therefore, serve God with all your heart. As much as you know that you were not redeemed with these corruptible things like father, mother, wife, brother, sister, the government, and your job and money, as much as you know you were not redeemed with these corruptible things, but that you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and do not serve these corruptible things. Others plead their own personal desires. You did not save yourself, so don't serve yourself. Glorify God in your spirit and in your bodies which are His. How do you handle properties that belong to someone else? Let's look at it from that perspective. If you have any sense of the understanding that you are handling another person's property, what usually comes to your mind? Carefulness, not carelessness. Except you have a very bad mind and you think that, oh, this thing doesn't belong to me, therefore I'll use it anyhow. But if you have any sense of nobility in you, you know that there is a greater carefulness that is called out from you 
when handling another person's property. If it is something you consider your property, of which there's nothing that's our property, everything belongs to God, and we're actually supposed to be careful with everything we own because in the end it's really not our own it belongs to god but let's look at it from the perspective the human perspective that we own something other people own another thing and we are using somebody else's property there is usually the extra carefulness now think of it you know that whenever you want to use somebody else's property you seek the permission of the owner to use that property first of all and then whatever rules they give you you follow their rules as to how that property should be used when it should be used and what it should be used for we read in our devotion that time we know him page 63 paragraph 4 god has bought us and he claims a throne in each heart our minds and bodies must be subordinated to him and the natural habits and appetites must be made subservient to the higher ones of the soul but we can place no dependence upon ourselves in this work we cannot with safety follow our own guidance so whose guidance are you to follow god's guidance why because he is the owner of the property that's why what else do we do when we realize the property is not ours like I said, we follow their instructions as to how to use it. We need to know what is God's instruction as to how I am to conduct myself and to carry my and to treat my body, even my body, because we are told glorify God in your spirit and in your body. Many Christians today acknowledge that they are to glorify God in their spirit. So they will go as far as okay, we don't commit any sin of the spirit, envy, jealousy, pride, hatred, and all of that. But when it comes to the body, they stop at fornication. But they do not understand that we are told whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. They will say, oh, you don't take alcohol. They go that far. But many don't understand that in glorifying God in their body, if God must have a throne in their heart, if they are to follow the instructions of the person who owns the body, it is not, it's not just about don't smoke, don't drink alcohol. Even the food you eat, you are not to put anything into the body that defiles it. And when I use the word defile, I mean something that you know would place your health in jeopardy. Anything at all. Treat the body with honor. Sleep when you're supposed to and as much as you're supposed to. And don't even oversleep. Eat only the things that you know will promote your health. When you know, for example, that the animal-based diet does not promote health, why are you eating it? You are a good Christian. You say, I'm not fornicating. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing I don't tell lies. I don't I have pride in me. Yes. But you don't know that Christianity goes beyond that. You are supposed to take care of your body in good health. How can you know that you are putting something into your mouth? The sugary things, junk food. And you know it is killing you, yet you say that you are glorifying God in your body? No, you are not. You glorify God in your body, you would also only put into that body the things that will promote the health of that body, because the Holy Spirit will not def- will not dwell in a body that is not healthy and that is not that is defiled. You must keep it in good health, and when having done all you can do, then commit it to God. But don't say, "Oh, every man will still die; we'll still get sick when we get old, and all of that." And you intentionally do things that will harm you and you think you are doing right that's what the bible calls uncleanness and you should be careful to take care of your body because you are not your own now 
when you understand the, co- the concept of ownership, you also realize that you don't use the property of another person for anything other than that which the owner has permitted. And when using the property for what is permissible by the owner, you must be careful with handling it and take care of that property. Take care of your body and your mind. Don't use it carelessly. Do not feel like since it's not my own, I can use it for what I like or selfish gain and ruin it. No. When you do that, you prove that Christ is not in you. In light of the price that has been paid for our redemption, man should understand that we are highly priced. We are not to conduct ourselves in a degrading fashion. Those who are redeemed are to conduct themselves as princes and kings because they are not of the world. Their citizenship is in heaven. We are told in the time we know him, page 63, paragraph 3, God will not occupy a divided heart or reign from a divided throne. Every rival that holds the affections and diverts them from the God of love must be dethroned. The Lord demands all that there is of us and there must be no reserve. Christ has purchased us and we are his heritage and we are to be honored by being co-laborers with Jesus. End of quote. Let me stop there for now. There are some concepts I want to bring up here. The concept of ownership in the sense of God owns all. There should be no reserve. We should understand that if we are truly converted, if we have been learning under the great teacher, we will know also that that conversion we spoke of yesterday that says that we should come to a position where we hate sin, not just where we avoid it. That is our goal. And that is what shows that all has been given to the owner. Because if there is still one sin we love, then we have not come to where God wants us to be. We have not made him the king in the throne of our heart. We should not love something else. Love the world. We are admonished. Love not the world. Neither the things of the world. Let God take the throne of our hearts completely and not halfway. Okay, so how can we come to this place? Because some of us, we struggle to make God the king of the throne of our hearts. We want it, but we cannot get it. We see ourselves still loving the things of this world. We have reserve. We've given him some part of our lives, but not all. So I want to read something now for that intent. In Testimonies, Volume 1, page 158, paragraph 3, we are told, Come with zeal, and when you sincerely feel that without the help of God you perish, when you pant after him as the heart panted after the water brooks, then will the Lord strengthen you speedily. Then will your peace pass all understanding. If you expect salvation, you must pray. Take time. Be not hurried and careless in your prayers. Beg of God to work in you a thorough reformation, that the fruits of his Spirit may dwell in you, and you shine as lights in the world. Be not a hindrance or curse to the cause of God. You can be a help, a blessing. Does Satan tell you that you cannot enjoy salvation full and free? Believe him not. I saw that it is the privilege of every Christian to enjoy the deep movings of the Spirit of God. A sweet heavenly peace will pervade the mind and you will love to meditate upon God and heaven. Take note, you will love it. You will feast upon the glorious promises of his word. But know first, because this is where the problem is. We don't love righteousness. That's why we don't allow God to take the throne of the heart. That's where the real issue is. But we are told here that we can love righteousness and allow God. Because when we talk about 
allowing God into our lives. It's allowing him to make a change, to change your ideas, to change you completely, the things you used to love before, to give them up. When you don't give them up, that means you have admitted another king into your life. And this is what we need to address. And so the the reading says, you can enjoy the deep movings of the Spirit and you can love to meditate upon God and heaven. You will feast upon the glorious promises of his word. But know first that you have begun the Christian course. Know that the first steps are taken in the road to everlasting life. Be not deceived. I fear, yeah. I know that many of you know not what religion is. You have felt some excitement, some emotion, but have never seen sin in its enormity. You have never felt your undone condition and turned from your evil ways with bitter sorrow. You have never died to the world. You still love its pleasures. You love to engage in conversation on worldly matters. But when the truth of God is introduced, you have nothing to say. Why so silent? Why so talkative upon worldly things and so silent upon the subject that should most concern you? A subject that should engage your whole soul. The truth of God does not dwell in you. I saw that many are fair in their profession, while within is corruption. Deceive not yourselves, false-hearted professors. God looks at the heart, and that's where you want to have his throne, in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The world I saw is, the, is in the heart of such, but the religion of Jesus is not there. And what are we learning? We are learning now that you are not your own. Who's supposed to be in the heart? Jesus, in the throne of your heart. Is it the world that is there? If it's the world, it is showing your conversation. You will like to talk of worldly things, but whenever spiritual things come up, you're silent. You can talk. You don't find pleasure in it. It shows that God is not in the throne of your heart and you have not given your Redeemer yourself. But we need to do that. We need to love God enough to realize that I need to give it to Him. But I know there can be a struggle. I know God has redeemed me. That's what some of us experience. He has redeemed me. But I don't feel like giving myself to him. I don't love righteousness. What do I do? That's why we are told, pray. Let us not deceive ourselves. If we have a corrupt heart, let us admit it. We are corrupt in our heart. Because we see that we don't love worldly things. But then, we are bringing solutions. It says here, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. If professed Christians love Jesus better than the world, they will love to speak of him, their best friend, in whom their highest affections are centered. He came to their aid when they felt their lost and perishing condition. When weary and heavy laden with sin, they turned unto him. He removed their burden of guilt and sin and took away their sorrow and mourning and turned the whole current of their affections. The things they once loved, they now hate, and the things they hated, they now love. Has this great change taken place in you? Be not deceived. I would never name the name of Christ. Or, I would give him my whole heart, my undivided affections. We should feel the deepest gratitude that Jesus will accept this offering. He demands all. When we are brought to yield to his claims and give up all, Then and not till then will he throw around us his arms of mercy. But what do we give when we give all? A sin-polluted soul for Jesus to purify, to cleanse by his mercy and to save from death by his matchless love. And yet I saw that some thought it hard to give up all. I am ashamed to hear it spoken of, ashamed to write it. 
Do you talk about self-denial? What did Christ give for us? When you think it hard that Christ requires all, go to Calvary and weep there over such a thought. Behold the hands and feet of your deliverer, torn by the cruel nails that you may be washed from sin by his own blood. Those who feel the constraining love of God do not ask how little may be given in order to obtain the heavenly reward. They ask not for the lowest standard, but aim at perfect conformity to the will of their Redeemer. With ardent desire, they yield all and manifest zeal proportionate to the value of the object which they are in pursuit. What is the object? Immortality. Eternal life. Amen. End of quote. It goes on to say in page 162, paragraph 2 and downward, the young, you know, sometimes if you are, if, if you find it difficult to work for God, because there are two things here about the ownership of God. It's not just about giving him your soul to purify, but also giving him your skills, your strength, your mind to use. I would always say it's only one who has not understood or who does not appreciate what God did for him in the conversion of his own life that finds it difficult to witness for Christ. If you understand what God has done for you, you'll be a co-laborer with him. In any way, I'm not saying you must be a preacher, but you would want to see what can I do? How can I contribute to the salvation of other souls? Not necessarily that you'll be preaching like every other preacher, no, but there should be that burden in the heart. You will not just go carelessly in your life as if you're just, ah, yes, God has redeemed me, let me go and live my life. No, you will want to serve him. The fact that you don't want to serve or you're not finding a way to contribute to the work of the gospel is evidence that your heart is not converted. Continuing the reading, page 162, paragraph 2, we are told the young are often urged to do duty. Are people urging you to do duty? Let me continue reading. They are urged to speak. You don't want to contribute in services. You are urged to speak. Or to pray in meeting. Urged to die to pride. So we're talking of two things here. Character and service. People are urging you to change character. They are also urging you to serve. Now let's hear what this says about that. Every step they are urged. Such religion is worth nothing. Let the carnal heart be changed, and it will not be such drudgery, ye cold-hearted professors, to serve God. All that love of dress and pride of appearance will be gone. The time that you spend standing before the glass, preparing the hair to please the eye, should be devoted to prayer and searching of heart. There will be no place for outward adornment in the sanctified heart, but there will be an earnest anxious seeking for the inward adorning, the Christian graces, the fruits of the Spirit of God. Going down to page 163, we are told, Subdue the carnal mind, reform the life, and the poor mortal frame will not be so idolized. If the heart is reformed, it will be seen in the outward appearance. If Christ be in us the hope of glory, we shall discover such matchless charms in him that the soul will be enamored. It will cleave to him, choose to love him, and in admiration of him, self will be forgotten. Jesus will be magnified and adored, and self abased and humbled. But a profession without this deep love, that's what is lacking. That's why we don't want to give him all the love. Without this deep love is mere talk, dry formality, and heavy drudgery. 
Many of you may retain a notion of religion in the head. An outside religion, when the heart is not cleansed, God looks at the heart. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Will he be satisfied with anything but truth in the inward parts? Every truly converted soul will carry the unmistakable marks that the carnal mind is subdued. I speak plainly. I do not think that this will discourage a true Christian. I do not, and I do not want any of you to come up to the time of trouble without a well-grounded hope in your Redeemer. Determined to know the worst of your case, ascertain if you have an inheritance on high. Deal truly with your own soul. Remember that a church without spots or wrinkle or any such thing will Jesus present to his Father. End of quote. Enough is already said on this matter. God wants us to give him all. And if we will give all, we must love him. Because it's that love that is lacking. Once we have that love, it will not be a drudgery. Nobody will be pushing you to change, to serve God. I know that there can be a struggle, by the way. And the struggle only comes because of the love. If you didn't love God, you will not be struggling and feeling bad when you sin against him. It's a process. Yes, I get that. But then, there must be the struggle. Remember what we read yesterday about praying, agonizing with God. If you must overcome, you must pray. But then, we must give God all. Our Redeemer must have all. And there must be nothing we keep back in reserve. May God give us the grace and help us that we will bring in Christ as a king of the throne of our hearts. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for the words we've heard. For all who have listened, for I who have also spoken. I pray, Father, that these words shall bring forth a transformation in our lives. Even if we have experienced conversion before, help us, Lord, to be reconverted by these words we have heard. Lord, be the king of the throne of our hearts. Is there any area of our life where we have reserved and not allowed you to come in? We know that that halfway walk is as good as no walk at all. Lord, please come into our hearts and dwell and transform us true and true. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. This message was brought to you by the Angel with a Strong Voice, a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for His imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org That is www.tawasv.org or contact info at tawas.org